You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, if you would look with me to the book of Habakkuk, grab your sermon notes and follow along. We are in this series that we have titled Hope in the Dark as we're as we're talking about like processing through the stuff of life that makes no sense and navigating the painful, difficult times. So just to make sure I'm talking to the right group today, how many of you have experienced a painful time in your life that didn't make sense in a time where maybe you doubted God and, or, or wondered, like, God, where are you at and what are you up to? Anyone besides myself? Yeah, I think probably we've all been like, if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, if you've been in this faith journey any length of time, then you've probably come to those times and places where you've wondered, like, God, where are you at and what are you up to? Listen, this is what I know. Following Jesus is good and right, and it's what you were created for. But following Jesus is not always easy. In fact, Jesus said this. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Now, to be honest, we'd rather not hear that. Correct? We'd rather hear, in this world you will be rich. Come on. Can I get an amen on that? In this world you will be blessed. And we'd rather hear, in this world you're going to be endlessly happy. That's not what Jesus said. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he doesn't stop there. The latter part of the verse, John 16, 33, Jesus says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Take heart, I'm going to be with you as you go through the challenges of life. Folks, here's the reality. In this life, you're going to come to painful times, confusing times, and frustrating seasons. You're going to have to go through what I call the valley of disappointments and the desert of difficulties. And it's a part of the process of living out life in this fallen world. And Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But here's the good news. In the midst of the trouble, he is present with us. In other words, we have his presence. We have his help. The promise of God is this. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And he's working for your good even when it's not evident. Even when you can't see it. And that's the difficult, that's the difficult challenge, I think, for us. When we can't see the reality, the evidence of God's working, of God's presence, that's when we struggle. That's when we question. That's when we doubt. In this series, we're looking to the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. In case you were not here last Sunday, last Sunday was a, a holiday Sunday, and we launched this series last week. So I would encourage you to go back and check out the podcast to kind of catch up. So, but I want to give you just a quick review so we're all on the same page this one. A reminder of what we talked about last week. Habakkuk's a prophet of God. Not just a weird name, it's really a man, a prophet of God to the nation of Judah. And this is happening about 600 years before the birth of Christ. So that kind of gives you the time frame of when this book was, was written. And in this book, Habakkuk, the prophet of God, is perplexed. He's frustrated, he's agitated. And as we saw last week, it began with this, God... I mean, there's all of this evil playing out in the nation of Judah, among my own people, among my own bloodline. And like, God, you're not doing anything. I mean, we have, we have the wicked who are prospering. We have those in authority taking advantage of others. We have, we have the poor being abused. And God, I don't see you doing anything about it. Like, you're supposed to be just, but I don't see justice happen. So he's confused. And God responds, God responds to, 
Habakkuk's complaint and says, well, Habakkuk, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to act. I'm going to use the wicked Babylonians to bring judgment on the nation of Judah. And, and Habakkuk's like, oh, golly. Like, that makes no sense at all, God. Like, they're ten times, I mean, like, we're bad, but like, they're ten times worse than us. The wicked Babylonians. And so again, Habakkuk's wrestling with, actually, I, I, I mentioned this last week. It's interesting that the name Habakkuk literally means to wrestle and embrace. That's interesting. Habakkuk's wrestling with what he doesn't understand, yet he's embracing God in the process as he's, as he's trying to figure out, God, well, what are you up to? See, I believe that we can find hope in the dark times of life as we pursue God through the process. You know, I think of my friend Nick Vojacek. Some of you may remember Nick. He was here with us about a year ago. And the good news, he's coming back this fall. He's going to be with us again. But Nick was born, if you haven't heard his story, Nick was born in 1982 in Melbourne, Australia, with no arms, no legs. His condition his condition's called phocomelia. And like there's no known medical, genetic, or environmental reason for it. But because of this disability of Nick being born, yeah, here's a picture of my friend Nick, being born without arms and legs, Nick really struggled in his life. Like his condition didn't fit the theology that he had been raised in. And there was a lot of, there's a lot of whys. Like, God, why the disability? Why is everyone else normal and I'm not normal? Why is everyone else able and I'm not able? Nick telling his own story at one time tried to take his life, tried to drown himself in a bathtub because he couldn't deal with the struggle of what he was walking through. The good news for Nick is that God intervened. He didn't take his own life. There was a time when he, when he transitioned from asking why to what. And you know the rest of the story. Nick today has become a phenomenally communicator, evangelist, travels the nations of the world, and get this, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people have come to know Christ as their Savior because Nick was willing to both wrestle and embrace and because he was willing to wrestle and embrace, God took what many would say is a disability and through that's doing amazing things. And see, I believe that's why when we have this book, the book of Habakkuk, to help us understand that it's okay to wrestle with God. It's okay, it's okay to bring, as we talked about last week, it's okay to bring our questions to God. It's okay to bring our frustrations to God. It's okay to be like honest with God. I believe as committed believers, we can both wrestle with honest questions and embrace a genuine faith in God. But when we face adversity, difficulty, and pain, this is what we want. We want God to act. Would you agree with that? When life gets hard, what do we want? Really simple, we want God to act. But oftentimes, the answers we want and the relief we desperately need does not come quickly. And sometimes, sometimes we can like feel stuck, stuck in the struggles. I mean, life can feel a little bit like Bill Murray in the Groundhog Day movie. You remember that movie? Like same thing day after day after day. And we wonder like, God, where are you at? God, what are you, what are you up to? See, we want God to deal with our complications, but he wants to develop our character. We want him to change our circumstances, but he wants to change us first. And oftentimes, oftentimes God will use the circumstances of life to refine us. 
to mature us. I can tell you in my own life, it's not been on the mountaintop experiences of my life where everything is wonderful and everything is great that I've, that I've experienced spiritual growth and maturity. Matter of fact, let me tell you what my tendency is, and I think it's the tendency of humanity. When we're on the mountaintop and everything's going well, all the bills are paid, money's in the bank, wife's still talking to you. You know what I'm talking about? Like home life is good, church life is good. When we're on the mountaintop, let me tell you what your tendency is. It's, it's just like my tendency is we begin to pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, I can do this pretty good. I mean, look at me. It's amazing. This is what happens. This is what I've experienced in my own life, and I've seen it happen in your life. Well, not you, but your neighbor sitting beside you. Is that when we get on the mountaintop and all is well and all is good, we have a tendency to become, get this, self-dependent. When we're in the valley, we're not self-dependent. When we're in the valley, we become God-dependent. In those challenging times, I find that there's this refining, there's this there's this growth that happens in our lives as we get this, as we're wrestling and embracing. So, so let's get to the book of Habakkuk, his challenge. Let's see what we can discover about navigating the difficult and, and often confusing seasons of life. Habakkuk chapter 2, again, I put it on the screen because some of you are still looking for the book and you haven't found it yet. It's there, I assure you. Chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand at my watch and station station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Verse 2, we have the Lord's answer. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false, though it linger Notice, wait, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are are not upright. Notice the next line. But the righteous will live by his faith. What I appreciate and value about Habakkuk is is that in his struggles and his frustration, he's not like rejecting God or are running from God. Rather, he's pressing into God in his struggles. Rather than like throwing in the towel, he continues to engage God in the process. And with, within Habakkuk's struggle, I believe we have four points of action that can help us. Like, what can I do when God seems to be unresponsive? What can I do when nothing seems to be happening when I think something should be happening? What can I do when God's not responding the way my theology said he was going to respond? I think Habakkuk gives us some insight here. I think the first thing is this. What do we do when God seems unresponsive is we need to listen. You know, most of the time, we're really good at talking, but we're not really good at listening. We're really good at asking questions, but again, we're not really good at listening. You know, it's difficult to gain understanding if we don't listen. Listen, if you're doing all the talking and you're not doing any listening, then you're not learning. You're not hearing. So as we present our situations and circumstances to God, we need to take time to listen. As we saw in part one of Habakkuk, 
Habakkuk brought his complaints. He brought some really tough questions to God. And as he presented the questions to God, now it's what? It's time to listen. Matter of fact, that's what he says in verse 1. Look back to verse 1. Habakkuk says, I'm going to stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I'll give to this complaint. I love these images. He says, I'm going to stand at my watch. and I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to what God might want to say to me about my questions about this situation. You know, sometimes we're not getting answers to our questions, and it's not because God's not speaking. It's because we're not willing to be still long enough to listen, and we're not hearing. I think God might want to reveal himself or his plan or his work or some revelation, but we're so pressed and we're so rushing into life, and we don't take time to listen. This past week, I was in Nashville all week at a national convention for our church family. Had some great speakers, um, some great worship. But also, uh, every year when we have our national convention, we conduct business. So we have business sessions where we discuss bylaws and, and church stuff and kind of we receive reports. And, and as we're having these business discussions, they have four microphones stationed in this convention center where we were meeting. And individuals who are licensed ministers can go to a microphone and present a question for the individual, the leader on the platform. And so we're in this business session, and one of the ministers gets up and he goes to microphone number three, and he's called on, and he says, hey, this is my name. And he presents his question for the individual, the leader on the platform. He presents his question, and then he turns and walks back to his seat. And the leader on the platform said, uh, excuse me, sir, would you come back to the microphone? I want to, I want to answer your question. And as I saw that play out, I thought, wow, is that not how we respond to God? We present our question and then we just walk away. And we don't take time to listen. Or we bring our complaint, we bring our, our whining to God, and we let him have it. But we don't take time to listen. To listen to what he might want to say concerning the very, the very question that we presented. Interesting, the writer of the book of Psalms, Psalm 46 verse 10 quotes God, and this is what God says, be still and know that I'm God. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you stopped everything and just got still to listen? To listen to what God might want to say. God didn't say, hey, be busy and know that I'm God. Now, I think, well, I can't say this for you. Let me say it about me because it's true about me. I'm really good at being busy. I'm not real good at being still. And I think oftentimes in my busyness, listen, I can make things happen. I'm a get it. I'm just wired to make things happen and get them. That's just the way God made me. I'm really good at being busy. I'm not really good at being still. I'm not really good at listening. Ask my wife. Just yesterday, I said, and and when were we leaving on vacation? She said, I've told you four times, and I'll tell you again, we're leaving on Friday. I thought it was Thursday, because you don't listen. I know. I'm so sorry. It's true. First thing we need to do is listen. Beyond listening, here's the second proactive way that you can engage and invite God into your struggle, and it's to write. 
right. Maybe it's because I'm getting older, but what I've discovered is if I don't write things down in a notepad or in my journal or on my phone, I quickly forget them. Anyone else have that problem besides me? It seems like my memory used to be better than it is today. I mean, just three days ago, I, I was going to the grocery store, so I called my wife. And I said, hey, hon, I'm, I'm going to the grocery store. Anything you want me to pick up? And she gave me three items. And I'm two miles from the grocery store, and I'm thinking three. I can remember that, just three items. <laughs> I didn't write it down. I get in the grocery store, and I remember two of the items, and I had to call my wife. I mean, just two miles. I, I just drove two miles and walked into the grocery store, and I'd already forgotten the three items I was supposed to get. And I dare didn't go home without all three of the items. That's why I called. But I should have wrote it down. And our tendency is, is oftentimes we don't capture, we don't write down what God's revealing. And what do we do? We, we quickly forget. When Habakkuk wrote down his conversation with God, including God's promise to deliver his people by first allowing them to be trounced by the Babylonians, this is what he was doing. Get this. He was creating a public record. God says, this is what I want you to do, Habakkuk. I want you to write this down. If you look to verse 2, he says, write it down. Because one of these days it's going to happen, just as I've revealed, and I want individuals to be able to look back to the public record of what I said I was going to do, and say, wow, God is true to his word. Well, there, was, there was public record. It was a public statement. So, so, when, so when God says something to you, hear me, friends, record it. Record it. For, you need to record it for two reasons. First, you have a spiritual enemy that I believe that wants to rob you of the truth that God wants you to hear. The second is, you're human and you forget. So write it down. Create a public record. And when you, when you develop the discipline of writing down what God shows you and what you're praying about, you might be amazed as you look back over a few years of all that God has done. George Mueller was. You, you, maybe you know the story of George Mueller. This goes back to the 1800s. But George Mueller was a great evangelist. One day he was out in the streets of Bristol, England, and he saw hundreds of kids fending for themselves children in need. And his heart was wrecked by what he saw. And he says, I, I, I've got to do something about this. And with very little money, he started an orphanage. Sixty years later, over 10,000 children had come through the orphanage, their lives impacted by the life of George Mueller. But when George Mueller started this orphanage, this is what he said. He says, I'm, God, I'm going to trust you. I, I'm never going to ask anyone for anything I'm just going to ask you. And interesting today, um, there's, a, there's a book of over 3,000 pages of what George Mueller wrote down about his prayers and God's responses. What he, he created a public record. Stories like this. One evening as he went to bed, there was literally no bread for breakfast for the children. So before he went to bed, he says, I was on my face before God saying, God, I don't, I don't know what to do. These kids have nothing to eat in the morning. But God, I'm trusting that you're going to provide. Early the next morning, I knock on the door. It was, it was a baker 
from a bakery just down the street. He says, I couldn't sleep last night. I was up making bread, and I just thought I'd bring by the fresh bread for you and the children. Amazing. Wrote another story in his, in his diary of answered prayer, his public record. Where one day, one day they, they were out of milk. They had no milk for the children. George Mueller presents the request to God, and would you know, a milk truck breaks down right in front of the orphanage, and the milk was going to spoil, so the guy just gave it to George Mueller and the children. Story after story after story. Matter of individuals have worked through what is recorded, and there's over 30,000 answers to prayer that he's recorded down through the years. What he created a public record to remind him of the faithfulness of God. I would encourage you, when you're in those times that's confusing, that doesn't make sense, what do you need to do? Listen, I know some of you, listen, you haven't written since high school. It's difficult. I would encourage you, get a notepad, get a journal, and begin to record, create a public record of not only your complaints and your requests, and when God answers those, create your own public record. So we need to, we need to write. We want to listen. We want to write. Here's a third point of action that we can take as we're wrestling and embracing, and it's this. It's to wait. To wait. So can we all moan? Oh, well, we don't like to wait, do we? Man, in our instant society, in our instant culture today, I mean, with technology and, and all that you have instantly in your hands, well, listen, the last thing we want to do is wait. Listen, when I go to a fast food restaurant, I want my food fast. I don't like to wait. I mean, you know, I'm disappointed a lot. <laughs> when I order something from Amazon, I want it tomorrow. I don't want to wait. When I'm driving down Interstate 77 and it's always backed up, I immediately get out my phone and I get on my Waze app and I'm trying to find the alternative route because I don't like to wait. And I think you're probably like me. And we're not good at we're not good at at waiting. We're not good at at like getting still before God and just waiting. And apparently Habakkuk wasn't crazy about it either. Nonetheless, he knew that the third thing he had to do if he was going to make it out of the valley of despondency was to wait. Look back to verse 3. Notice what God told him in verse 3. The revelation awaits. Get this, an appointed time. In other words, it's coming. An appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait Wait for it, and it will certainly come and will not delay. Interesting, the Hebrew word here for appointed time is moed, and it means the right time, the affixed time, the divinely chosen time that God permits something to happen. You know, there's an old saying that goes like this, God's, rare, God's rarely early, never late, and he's always right on time. I think that's what moed means. It's the appointed time. Listen, if... If it's not God's time, you can't force it. And if it is God's time, you can't stop it. But the time is, the time in waiting can be tough. When you feel like your faith tank is about to run dry, remember this. When God has promised something, it will come to pass, but it will be in His timing, not ours. And for whatever it's worth, when it comes to waiting, 
Like we're not the only ones. I mean, throughout Scripture, there's story after story of individuals who were chosen by God, loved by God, a part of God's kingdom plan, who God said, I'm going to let you wait a while. I mean, think think of the story of Moses. God says to Moses, Moses, you're going to be a great deliverer. And Moses is like, yeah. And then God takes him on a 40-year detour through the wilderness, into the wilderness, before he becomes the deliverer. And some of you are a little frustrated because you've had to wait for four days. Or four weeks, or four months. Think about 40 years. And then Moses became the great deliverer. What God said came true. Get the, 40 years later. Think about Joseph. You know Joseph's story, Genesis 37. God, God reveals to Joseph, Joseph, you're going to rule over your brothers. Like you're going to rule over the nations. And Joseph's all excited, and then his brothers sell him into slavery. And as he's a slave in a land that's not his own, the boss's life like falsely accuses him. And then he's thrown in prison, only sometime later to be elevated out of prison by God's plan to become second in power, authority over the whole nation of Egypt. It happened, but there was quite a time delay. There was a waiting period. I think of the Apostle Paul. I mean, Jesus shows up to the Apostle Paul, and, and I mean, he has this great vision, this great encounter, this great revelation, and Paul says, hey, I'm going to go preach the gospel. And it was 13 years before he preached his first sermon. 13 years. And God had to get him ready for the assignment. And there's often these, these times of waiting That's about what God's doing in us so that he can work through us. So in some seasons of life, folks, you're just going to have to wait. But because of the faithfulness of God, this is what we can do. We can wait in expectancy. So you don't have to to sit around waiting, twiddling your thumbs or getting anxious about what's going to happen. No, you can wait in expectancy. When, when when, When a woman is pregnant, when there's life in the womb, what do we say? We say she is expecting. There's waiting. There's a nine month period of waiting, but there's a waiting and expectation of what's to come. In the same way, I think we can, this is, this is what I call, this is what I call it, we can proactively wait. I would encourage you to proactively wait. So how can we proactively wait? Three things. The first is this, don't whine worship. While God has you in a season of waiting, listen, a great response is just to worship. I think worship is always the right response. Whatever the situation, I think worship is the right response. The second way that I believe we can wait expectantly is in your time and season of waiting, serve God and serve others. Some of you, right after this service, you're going to head to a a local restaurant to have lunch. And as you sit down in a seat at a local restaurant, someone's going to come out and serve you. What do we call them? Waiters, right? Isn't that what you call them? The wait staff, what, they're coming to serve you a meal. Why? Because you're hungry, right? But they're going to serve you, and they're waiters. And in that season of waiting, again, don't, listen, don't just sit around twiddling your thumbs. Don't just sit around whining and complaining. No, in that season of waiting, find someone to serve. 
Here's a third thing you can do to proactively wait. It's anchor yourself to the truth of God's word. Because in that season of waiting, there's often the challenge of doubting. Because God's not acting, God's not performing, God's not showing up, God's not doing what you thought he would do, and you begin to question. So what do you need to do? You need to anchor yourself to the truth of God's word. You need to bring yourself back to what God has already declared in his word, that of his promises, his goodness. So in that season of waiting, always remember that God's working. You may not be able to see it. It may not be evident to the human eye. But listen, this is what I can assure you. God is always working while you're waiting. So we're going to listen. We're going to write. We're going to wait. And here's the fourth way that we can proactively embrace. We can, we can wrestle with these seasons when God seems to, seems to be unresponsive is we believe. We believe. Because again, when, when God does not respond as you thought he would, or in the time that you thought he would, the human tendency is to doubt. What do we do? We doubt. We begin to question, does God really love me? Is God really able? Does this God thing really work? We begin to question what we know to be true. And it's in those times and seasons that we have to remind ourselves of the promises of God. We have to stand firm in faith, believing, even when we're not seeing. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, the scripture says, See, he's puffed up. His desires are not upright. So the scripture here is talking about the arrogant, the proud. But notice it goes on to say, but the scripture, uh, but the scripture goes on to say, the righteous will live by faith. So how should we live? Look to, look to verse 4. Come on. Wake your neighbor up. Tell him he's almost finished. How should we live? I'm going to ask you one more time because I still have, don't have everyone on board, and it's really important that you get this. When God's not acting as we thought he would, when he seems to be unresponsive, how do we live? How do we respond? By faith. We choose to believe even when we don't see. We choose to trust even when it doesn't make sense. We choose to take the truth of what God has said and we, and we anchor ourselves to it. We, we hold on to it. So what is faith? It's having a confident expectation in what you've not yet seen or experienced. A confident, ex- haven't experienced it, I haven't seen it, but I believe it's coming. That's faith. And it's not faith if it's already happened. It's reality at that point. I love the way Oswald Chambers defines faith. I have it there in your notes. He says, faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand all the time. Now, I don't want to offend you this morning, but can I tell you something? God is bigger than your little brain. His ways are beyond what you can comprehend. See, we try to bring God down to our understanding, and it'll never happen. Why? Because he's greater than what your mind can comprehend. His ways are beyond that of your comprehension. But at times, what? We have to do what... 
Oswald Chambers said, man, we just have deliberate confidence in the character of God. I don't understand all he's doing and all that he's up to, but I'm confident that it's good and he's working for my good. That's what Oswald Chambers is saying. See, faith isn't faith until it's, until it's all you're holding on to. Faith says this, I'm going to continue to believe. Faith says, I'm not going to stop. Faith says, I'm not going to quit. Faith says, I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm not going to go back. I'm going to move forward in faith. And we have a, a great illustration of this in the life of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, God says this to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and make you a great nation. Your offspring is going to be as numerous as the sand on the seashore or the stars. in the, I mean, if you could count all the stars in the sky, Abraham, your seed's going to be that great. Now, how many of you know if you're going to have like a lot of offspring, you have to at least start with one? Right? I mean, you've you got to start somewhere. And the problem is, is God gave Abraham this great promise. But then there's this prolonged season of waiting and the problem is, in this prolonged season of waiting, Abraham comes to the place where he says, God, my body is like as good as dead. In other words, the sperm counts got really low. And God, Sarah, her womb's it's dead too. I, we, we are like way beyond the age. God, I, you said it. We're living in this reality. We don't see it. We don't understand it. Yet, God, this is what I believe. I'm fully confident. I'm fully expectant, God, that you're going to do it. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul records it. Very interesting. Romans chapter 4. Listen as I read this. It's against all hope. Abraham believed without the weakening in his faith. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. He was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And God did. Out of the deadness of Sarah's womb and out of the deadness of Abraham's body, God brought forth a son named Isaac. Why? Because Abraham was fully persuaded. What does faith look like? It looks like you're fully persuaded. The womb's dead. The life in Abraham's body. Or maybe in your situation, you're looking at it and saying, I don't know how that could ever happen. But faith means this, is that you're fully persuaded that what God said he was going to do, he's going to do. Somehow, some way. At some time, at some point, he's going to show up in your life and in your situation. That's what faith looks like. Listen, never doubt in the dark what you know to be true in the light. Hold on to the promises of God. Live your life fully convinced that God is both good and God is able. When you don't see a way, listen, know that God can make a way. When you're losing hope, believe in the God of hope. For with God there is always hope. And when you're hurting and afraid, to move forward confidently knowing this, that God will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. And as you move forward in faith, and as you choose to live in confident expectation of God and his work, again, somehow, some way, at some time, he's going to show up. As he did for Abraham and Sarah, so he will for you. So what's our place? Our place is to continue to believe. In 1945, on a basement wall in Germany, there was some graffiti found. And it's thought, don't know this for certain, but it's thought 
that the graffiti was placed there by a Jewish person who would have been hiding from the Gestapo, hiding for their life, wondering, God, where are you at in the midst of this injustice against the Jewish people? Where are you at as this, this demonic man by the name of Hitler is taking out his rage, thinking it's ethnic cleansing when it was such an injustice against God's creation? So they're hiding out in this basement, fearing for their lives, and they put this on the wall. I believe in the sun, even when it isn't shining. I believe in love when I'm alone. And I believe in God, even when He's silent. Putting our faith in a God who is not only good, but hear me, friends, He's always working for your good. Amen? So we're going we're gonna to listen. We're going to write. We're going to wait expectantly. And we're going to believe. And in those times and in those places, this is what I know. It may not be when you want it to happen, but this is what I know. God's going to show up faithful to His promise and faithful to His Word. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.